Some of you might have missed it, but yesterday there were fireworks going off. An interesting piece of news I, that I got in my email says, depending on um, our government's administration, this could be the last one. I thought, that's kind of interesting news. I want to read about this. Come to find out, uh, our current administration wants to, to help with the ozone layer and the effect of pollutants minimize more than what currently is under regulation, um, the emissions. And so one of the biggest emissions takes place on the 4th of July because you got fireworks going off and smoke everywhere. I mean, just the firecrackers that went off at, at uh, the family's house that we were at, um, Julie's family's house in Alabama, caused a lot of smoke. And that was just one. And so I could just imagine, they said between it and all the grills that are barbecuing, that's just a lot of emissions. And so I, I was taking the article as being serious. But can you imagine the fireworks no longer going off because it's too much in the way of emissions on this one given day? Definitely from a societal standpoint, as an American citizen, we're wondering where are our freedoms going. And of course, we had that sermon last week as a result of the ruling with our Supreme Court. The thing is, when we talk about these things, if we go back through history and look at the founding of this country, we would see how freedom was viewed as priceless. In other words, it is extremely costly, so very costly. And the irony is that more and more of Americans are growing up not knowing anything, zilch, zero about the history of this country and our independence. And I find it actually shocking. Shocking because I grew up in Hawaii and I hardly remember any American history, although I learned a lot of the Hawaiian history. But even I, with the minimal American history that I have, knew some about our founding fathers and about the War of 1812. Very little about the Civil War. Now, I don't remember that much in, in uh, high school about that. But I say this because last week there was a guy, I don't know his name, he goes out and he always does these surveys and gets petitions. He does it in San Diego or in California, and he asks them various questions like, you know, should we no longer have a flag and, and sign a petition to have it revoked and everything. And people sign it all over, left and right. And this one, this past week was, do you know why you're celebrating the 4th of July? Now, for all the people that were interviewed, all I got was what was on the video. So maybe there are people that did know. But time and time and time again, people are saying, I have no clue. You know, like, what year, you know, did we celebrate our independence and have our independence? And, you know, what is it that, we, uh, we, you know, what country were we seceding from or declaring independence from? One answer was from the South. Yes. That was the country we were seceding from. The other was from California. <laughs> what country were we seceding from? I mean, declaring independent. This is crazy, brethren. The ignorance is at an all-time high. 
And we're talking about people who are fighting till their death so that we could have this freedom. This is just an amazing thing. And so I got something that was in email and I was listening to it. Beautiful statement. It was about the flag of what we had from the original flag that's still in the Smithsonian from the War of 1812. Um, and when I was reading the history and comparing it to that video, although there were some um, differences in the facts, the story is something like this, and I want, I want it to be the backdrop to the true freedom that we're going to be talking about this morning. So, Francis Key Scott. I always, Julia even corrects me even to this day. I can never say his name right. Francis Scott Key. It's what happens when you grow up in Hawaii. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me and correcting me. He, depending on the video versus the facts that I'm reading from, from other sources, basically went to the British officers that were battling against after going to D.C. and everything, coming to Baltimore, going to negotiate the release of his friend. And according to the video, hundreds of other Americans, one for one, trade. And depending on the sources, anywhere from a thousand yards off to as far as eight miles away from seashore, they could see Fort McHenry. And the, the story is along the lines where in which the officer of the, the British fleet was saying, listen, you know, we'll agree to the terms, but I want you to know this. It's not going to matter much. Because in a couple of hours, all the dots that you see on the horizon are going to be here and we're going to obliterate this fort because of the flag that's there. There are women and children at this fort. But the flag that was standing up, the flag of which the Americans had fought to show its independence. The flag in which was a banner of rallying for that independence was not going to come down. And the officer from Great Britain said, listen, if you don't want anything to happen, harm to the women and children and to the men, all you have to do is take down the flag and be under British control again. That night, in the darkness of the night, all you could see was just this bombardment, according to the words of our fellow Americans. And he would report back down below the ship to the prisoners, according to this video, that the flag's still up. You can barely see it. But when that dawn's early light came, the flag was still standing. And the officer was dumbfounded saying, how is that possible? We have directly hit that flag time and time and time again. It's not possible for that flag to be still standing. What happened was during the night, according to my reading and my understanding is that men would posit themselves holding up this flag that's what, 30 something by 40 something feet? It's just a huge, huge, huge flag that would take more than a dozen strong men to hold it up. And they would give up their lives holding that flag up. 
because they wanted freedom. Freedom from a nation that they were being oppressed by. This is our forefathers of this country, brethren. And they would be replaced by other men. As these men who had died holding up that flag would be carried away, other men would take their place and they in turn would be killed. And they continually gave up their lives to keep that flag being raised. That's the modern view that we have of what we call the star-spangled banner, the defense of Fort McHenry. It's priceless, all right. The, the price is great blood for freedom. We just had read by Ben out of Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. But I want to go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to read this passage. And I want you to read it with me. And I want it to sink deep within your hearts. Because it has everything to do with the freedom that we have. And to understand this concept of this flag, which is a big, big discussion right now in our country. Not just the Confederate flag, but even the American flag. The 50 stars, the stripes, stars and stripes. And I want you to, to read this in light of the freedom that we're talking about, which is in Jesus Christ, our true citizenship. So in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the apostle says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, Oh, I'm sorry, I mean, Ephesians, I was wondering, that just does not sound like Galatians 5 at all. Sorry. Galatians chapter 5, which sounds a whole lot more like what I'm talking about. <laughs> Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus there neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. It is that very first verse that tells us why Jesus died. Stand fast in the liberty, in the freedom by which Christ has made us free. We are told that the Lord is my banner. And we sing songs about He, he our God, being our banner, right? Just as this flag is a banner, a rallying point for anyone that says... I love and I desire and I'll fight for freedom. That's the mindset of patriotism for any country, let alone ours. But what is unique about this country is it's based upon freedom. That's why our Bill of Rights are what they are. It's because of freedom. The freedom for this or the freedom for that. Right? To speak. So that we can worship our God. The freedom of religion. And so in Exodus chapter 17, the Lord is my banner. We do the same thing when we talk about 
our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our rock and he is our banner. He is our rallying point to stand up for the cause of Christ, to preach the good news. So we understand as Christians this concept of freedom. Or do we? And when I ask, or do we, it says a lot about our lives. We can rally around a message that's being stated, but when you look at your life specifically, is your life standing fast in the liberty of Christ? Or do you take it for granted? And have you lost the history of why Jesus died for you and for me? Because we may know the history, and it may not compel us to move. We become slothful as children of God, as children of the free. And so this is the reason why we're looking at this very lesson. And so this morning, I'm wanting to talk about two points here that are mentioned specifically in Galatians chapter 5 about freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. And the first and foremost freedom, and they go hand in hand, both points do, <clears throat> goes to those who believe that you can earn your freedom, that you can be justified by you somehow being so good and so righteous by way of the law. And that is why we read the first six verses, and particularly in verse 3 following, where he says, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. What Paul is not saying is that it's wrong to be circumcised. What he is saying is for you to be justified through the law that deals with circumcision, if that's your motive, then you are severed from Christ. He died for your freedom, not for you to have this yoke again, which is found by way of the law. The law may have been righteous, but the law does not save. The law does not bring you salvation from the yoke And so he says in verse 5, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. This is so key. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. That's what we're told in verse 1. It was for freedom, it was for liberty that he set us free. And so in these first 12 verses, that's exactly what he is talking about by those who would seek to be justified by the law. This would be a different gospel than the good news. And so being subject to and being justified by the law puts us back into bondage. And brethren, there are some in the body of Christ that still have this mindset. Not some, many in the body of Christ that have this mindset. We can talk with our lips about the grace of God. And we can say it is by grace that we have been saved. But when I continue to hear things along the lines, have I done enough to be saved? The question is, Christ already did what you need to do to be saved. You need to join yourself with Him by faith. And it is by faith through grace, or by grace through faith I should say, that you have been saved. It is not of you, it is a gift from God, we're told in Galatians, I mean Ephesians chapter 2. When you read verses 1 through 10, that's the whole point. He died while you were dead in your sins. When you could not have any strength to save yourself. And it was a gift that was given to you so that it would be a gift and not 
by way of merit. That's what we're told, and that's what's being said right here in Galatians 5. If you're being justified by way of law-keeping, then you're going to have to keep all the law. And you know what that brought? Condemnation. Because there's not one person who can stand justified before God because we're not perfect. Not one of us. And there are those who, by way of the flesh, by way of me doing good enough, that somehow thinks that by the law-keeping, I'm going to have heaven as my home. Brethren, we may not say it with our words, but we may live it out the way through our lives. And some of them among us still have this mindset because of the words that are being used. In fact, just coming to the building this morning, I had a wonderful conversation with Dane. Because we were talking, he said, Dad, why is it that I want certain things that I know I shouldn't have? He's being honest. I said, son, that's the battle that we go on. Every one of us goes in this battle. It's the battle between the spirit and the flesh, and they war against each other. Even the things that we know are not good for us, we sometimes have a desire for. It's like, is that going to keep me out of heaven? You see, not to put my son on the spot, but because I love him and because this was the conversation that we had, There are times in which I want to wring his neck. I'm sure he wants to wring mine too. (laughs) Because I'm going, what are you thinking, son? And then there are times where he is so tender-hearted. There are times in which he has the most wonderful thoughts that he shares with other people. Strangers at times. And I see the love that he has for God. And I see that war that goes on. And Dane is no different than any one of us in this room. It's just that when you get to see it, sometimes he would not be the poster child of the one that would win the award for, for most spiritually um, living and active. Boy, I see it in him. I see the love that he has for the Lord. And I see the struggle that he has with the flesh. I said, son... Even if you were the most spiritually minded boy that you could be, that's not what's going to save you. That will not save you. That should be your life in Christ, but that's not what saves you. What saved you was the blood of Jesus. And brethren, we sing it. Nothing but the blood to atone for our sins. Nothing but the blood to cleanse us. Nothing but the blood that draws us near to our Father. Nothing but the blood. It's not of us, but the blood. We sing it, brethren, unless you're not singing it by faith. And so we get to understand those seeking to be justified through law-keeping by doing enough, you're severed from Christ if that's the case. It no longer is a gift. It's a merit that you have earned salvation and that no one can do. It's for freedom of which he set us free. Freedom from that law. Well, there is a law that that the apostle is dealing with in Galatians chapter 5. And he's actually talking about it. And we've talked about it in our studies for the last five five weeks. 
maybe six weeks now, something like that. What we have here is a very important truth, and it's found in verse 5 and 6. Again, reading verse 5 and 6. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision profits anything or avails anything, but faith working through love. Those are Paul's words. There's no caveat needed. Faith working through love. Brethren, that's what we were studying when we were studying 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Is faith working through love. And that's what we're told here by the Apostle Paul. You can either be justified by law, which there is no justification, or justified by faith in Christ and have that faith working through love in your walk with Him. Then you'll be justified. That's what he's saying. That's the freedom that we have, not only from the law, but the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at that, that does not mean, and this is where I hear, I can hear it already because it was me in the past saying this, and I hear it in sermons if I don't make the caveat. From brethren saying, well, that, does that mean you can just do whatever you want to do? No. What person who loves God wants to continue in sin? But yet, somehow, brethren want to have that. It's like, well, if you're saying this, here's what's going to happen. No, it's not. Not if you love the Lord. If you don't love the Lord, you're going to use everything that you can to not do His will and everything you can to provide for your flesh. And that person will not be saved. And so we're told in Galatians chapter 5. Read it with me in verse 13. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to freedom, to liberty... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Do you see that? He says on the one side, Christ died for you so that you would be freed from the law. Now, because you are freed from the law, it does not give you license to sin. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to sin. On the contrary, because you are free in Christ, you're dead to sin to no longer live in it, Romans chapter 6. And that's what he's saying here in Galatians chapter 5. Reading on, he says, for all the law, in verse 14, is fulfilled in one word. Remember, we're, we're free from the law, that law that, that you're going to try and be justified by keeping all these laws that you have that salvation no, but all the law is fulfilled in one word, he said. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're studying on in our Bible study. It's fulfilled in one word. Everything that you do has got to be based upon this love. And you cannot overestimate it. You cannot speak enough about it. It is perfect. You cannot do anything wrong when you love your God and you love your neighbor. You, there's nothing. In fact, if we go on and read this, he'll say as much. And I'm going to read it so that it's not my words, but the apostles' words. Again, verse 14. All the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite 
and devour one another. Beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit and not, and you, excuse me, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. I want to read that one more time. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication. That means having relations outside marriage. And I have to say that because I just assume everyone knows what that is. But when we go into the jail, they're like, what does that word mean? So... Not, having, not being married and having the marital relationship found in God's word. Uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, self-ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the list could go on and on. Just as I told you in time past that those who practice sin, who practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God of God you cannot be a Christian and walk according to the flesh can't do it but if you're a Christian and brought by the freedom of Christ you're going to stand fast in him you are willing to die for him the way he died for you because of that liberty that freedom from sin the freedom that took Jews from the law, which could only condemn. And you'll live for him. He goes on to say, in verse 22, in contrast to the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. By you walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. This is what builds up. This is what gives life. He says in verse 22, Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, against the spirit of righteousness, there is no law. Because you're already fulfilling the law. Because you're loving your neighbor through the fruit of the Spirit. So what we're talking about here is two things. Number one, being freed from the law. And number two, being freed from sinning and from sinfulness. Christ delivered you from both. And they go hand in hand. Because some want to be justified by the law. And some are saying, well, if, listen, if, if I get grace, then maybe if I sin, I get more grace. Romans chapter 6. Verse 1 tells us, such is not the case. So here's the thing. Sin, just like the, like the law, is a yoke. The law was a yoke. Even though the law is righteous and the law is holy and it's good, it was a yoke. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, don't covet. And then all of a sudden, what does he want to do? Covet. It became a yoke. And he goes on to say in Romans chapter 7, the things that I, I know is good... And I love, I don't do. And the things that I know it to be sinful, and I hate these things, I end up doing. 
Oh, wretched man that I am, verse 24 of Romans chapter 7. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death? Because I've got this war going on. And Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. There's this war between the spirit and the flesh. But for the child of God, as we grow in him more and more, and as we love the way he loves more and more, and we look like our Savior more and more, we put away the things of the flesh because we are able to walk in the spirit. We're able to walk in the freedom that Christ died for. And that's what we have. Here's the relationship I see between what's going on with our country and the freedom that we have in Jesus. Many Christians are growing up not truly knowing what we've been freed from. All they have are a list of rules of what we're supposed to do. All I hear about, and I speak generally, stereotypically, not specifically about each individual. What I hear about is the Bible is our guidebook on how we're supposed to, you know, solve every single problem. The Bible is a book of redemption. It is not a checklist. If you get this, you'll get this. But somehow, as if you, somehow you do this with your parenting, your children are going to turn out perfectly. Not going to happen. You know why? Because your children grow up and they have their own heart. Just like you have your own heart when your parents were raising you. The Bible is a book that says we are sinners. Every one of us are sinners. And we need someone to save us because we cannot save ourselves. And the good news is Jesus did that. He freed us from sin so we can be free to walk in Him. And if we sin, brethren, if we sin, little children, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he said, I write that you may not sin, but if you do, we have Jesus. That's the freedom that we have from sin, to no longer live in it, because we have a Savior. So I want to finish with this passage. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 16, Peter says the very thing that Paul said in Romans or in Galatians, Peter says, act as free men. Behave and live as free men. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. In other words, just because Jesus died for you doesn't mean you get to go and sin and live in sin. Don't use your covering of Jesus died for you as a cloak, as a covering to do evil. But he says, use it as being bond servants or slaves to God. Use the freedom as free men, knowing you're not enslaved by anyone, but you put yourself under others for their well-being. That's why Paul said, I'm all things to all men, that some would be saved. Because he's a bondservant of God, a bondslave of God. And he says then, honor all people. Because that's what love is, right? It's fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor. So honor all people. He says, love the brotherhood. Which brethren, we still got learning to do on that. And then three, fear God. And finally, he says, in the midst of a perverse and wicked leadership in the Roman Empire let alone in Judea, which I don't think Peter was writing at this time to. He says, honor the king. 
So as a little sidebar, we still need to honor our president. If you think our freedom is going down the tubes, and I keep hearing statements on Facebook and things along those lines, we still need to honor those who are in office, whether they be local authorities, state authorities, federal authorities. Looks like we're going to have international authorities now <laughs> reaching over us in this country. More and more, I should say. God knows what's going on. And as my father-in-law wrote on my post, God always wins. No matter what. But this is what we have. As being free in Christ. Having our independence in Him. Regardless of what freedoms may ebb and flow in this country or may be totally gone at some point. We have freedom in Christ. And because of the citizenship that we spoke of last week, we live for His glory. Not for the things of this world, but for His glory. I need to make one caveat because otherwise if I don't make it, even though I made it last week, if I don't say it again this week, some might correct me again. We have rights as citizens in this country still. And we can exercise those rights. But remember where your true citizenship came from. From heaven. David, last week, what you had to say at the end of the sermon was more powerful than the sermon itself. Because that's God's word working in our lives. And I really, really appreciate what you have to say. Brethren, this world is not our home. When we sing the song, this world is not our home, we're just passing through, sing it by faith. And live it out in your daily walk. This is why Christ died, for our freedom. Not for us to have fancy lives here in this country. But to bring this freedom that he has given to us, this gift that he's given to us, to many souls who do not have it. Don't get comfortable in your pews. Don't be like American citizens where we get slothful because of the, the price of freedom that had been purchased in our behalf for the last 239 years from, from a societal standpoint or for the last 2,000 years, which is for an eternity standpoint. Freedom forever found in him. Know your history, and I'm talking about your Christian heritage. Know why Christ died. Get into his word and stand, and if need be, die for the liberty that has been given to you and to given to me. Now, if you don't have that kind of freedom, guess what? Every day is Independence Day in Jesus Christ. And you'll never have it taken away from you, no matter what happens on earth. And you can have that if you come into the kingdom of our Lord. Very clearly, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. You want salvation? Come to Jesus. Come today. Come right now. And if you have turned your back on our Savior because somehow you're trying to earn your salvation, repent, lest you be severed from Christ. And if you think somehow that because of the grace of God, you can go ahead and just sin, repent. He died so that you no longer would live in sin. So that you would live like him and be like him. And then you shall be see him face to face one day. That's your invitation. Right now you can have that. It's together we stand and sing.